Well, today's a very special day. Not only is it the Lord's Day, but today Redeemer Presbyterian Church moves from the place of Mission Church to a, I love this word, a, a particularized church. I'll try to say that three times fast. Um, in other words, today is a day uh, in which you who are a part here um, as leaders and members are moving from a place where you are taking on uh, the leadership of yourselves, uh, you're installing elders, um, you're ordaining elders, you're in kind of changing Ted's call. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting in the back going through the, the commission and the steps and there's so many things that you've got to go through. It's just, it's uh, a lot of fun being Presbyterian. Um, <laughs> But it's truly, uh, it's an honor um, to, uh, to be asked to be a part of the commission, number one, but number two, to come and to preach because this, this is an historic occasion uh, for Redeemer and for Salem Springs uh, as a whole. And vows are going to be taken in a minute, uh, charges are going to be uh, given to those who are, are who will be in leadership. Um, in one sense, this is a new journey, uh, but in another sense, uh, the the journey simply is continuing. Uh, what you have been doing um, really uh, needs to continue. What you have been doing here to bring you to the point of particularizing is what needs to continue for things to grow and, and for you to prosper. Um, but what does that look like? What does that look like in the past? What does that to look like in the future? And what I hope to do this evening is to, of course, proclaim the truth of the gospel and exalt the Lord Jesus, but in also a very special way to encourage you as a church as you begin. Um, and I hope that uh, that, in fact, takes place. So if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, the liturgy at this point has led us up to this point. But I want to continue, and I want to read, beginning in verse 1, and I want to read the 16 verses here of chapter 4 that will serve as our text. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you... To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith and one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given each one of you, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, uh, when he ascended, I'm sorry, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is one who also ascended for above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'd ask that you would bless our time, that you would bless our study, that you would bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of your word. I'd ask, Father, that, of course, that Christ would be exalted, I pray, Redeemer, to be edified, that it would be for their good, that they would be encouraged as they continue on the journey, as you continue to uh, mold them and make them in, into what you desire them to be. And as Ted has already said, you've promised to build your church. And we are trusting that you will do so, and we're trusting that you will do what you have said, and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. May you use Redeemer to proclaim the gospel to Siloam Springs, to the state of Arkansas, Oklahoma, and around the world. Again, bless our time now. Give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. I think um, for us tonight and for the purpose of why we're here is I think, I think Paul, uh, we can look at this passage and Paul lays out three things that I would call essentials for church health and growth. Um, therefore, I believe that they have been and will continue to be, as I've already said, essential to you as a church, to you as elders, and to you as a church. Um, I say have been because I don't believe you would have arrived at this point had you not already been doing these things. But as you continue, I think that it's, it's very necessary that you will um, follow and continue in what you've been doing. So these three things I want to look at tonight. One is the promotion of unity. Uh, the second is the exercising of gifts. And the third is the, ma uh, the maintaining of the goal. Okay? Uh, let's for look first at the promotion of unity in verses 1 through, through 6. Um, as we read and as we began this chapter, as is his custom, Paul begins this section with the word therefore. And most of us know why it is there. And he's basically saying everything that I've said up to this point uh, is the basis for what I'm about to say. And some would say, well, he's just looking back to verse uh, chapter 3. I think he's looking back at the prior three chapters as a whole. So if we look at that in that context, we could say that Paul is saying, because you've been given, as, as Ted has already read, because you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, uh, because you have been forgiven, because you've been called, uh, because, because you've been chosen before the foundation of the world, because you've been uh, forgiven and, and you have been adopted, uh, because you've been sealed and you've been lavished with grace and because you've been sealed by the Spirit, uh, because you've been given that, that down payment of an inheritance, because you've been redeemed, because you were confined and you were, you've now been released, you were dead spiritually and now you're alive, because you were condemned and now you have experienced every kindness and mercy of God, because you were created and recreated for good works that were prepared beforehand for you, because you have been reconciled to God, because you were who were once far off are now near, because you were aliens, now you are uh, fellow citizens and heirs of the kingdom in God's household, I implore you to walk 
in a manner that's worthy of all of that. I'm imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Because, of, because what God has done in you, this is how I implore you. He's begging. This isn't, um, this isn't to be uh, debated. This isn't to be... Um, well, they're, they're not going to sit around and discuss what parts of this they are to do. He says, I'm imploring you. I'm, I'm begging you. He's basically saying, I want you to bring your life in balance with who you are and what you've been declared to be. But the summons, you'll notice, is not simply to walk the talk or to live like they've been declared to be. The summons is also while walking and doing what they've been declared to be as believers and as children of God. He also says to them, I want you to maintain unity while doing so. So in verse 1, he says, I, I the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called. In verse 3, he says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he says, I beg you to walk the talk, live in Christ as you've been declared to be, but I want you to be diligent. I want you to be zealous in your pursuit of unity as you do so. Preserve the unity. And there's some things that, that he uh, lets us know just in the phrase itself. One, he lets us know that unity is actually a work of the Spirit, but we're to be involved in it. Apart from the Spirit, the unity is not going to take place. So we have, to, we have to depend upon the Spirit. He says that the unity already exists. You can't preserve something that doesn't already exist. So we're, we're going to preserve that which already exists. And that it's going to take work. That's the, the zealous and the diligent part. And that it all needs to take place. And he's writing this to the church. So it all needs to take place in the context of community. It's all going to be worked out and fleshed out among yourselves. So the question is, you know, well, how, how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, Paul answers that in verse 2. He says, well, to, to preserve the unity, you know, walk in humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another, in love. So humility. We look at humility and we say, okay, two basic meanings. We're to have a proper estimation of who we are. And the only way to do that is what? To think back and to remember what he said in the previous three chapters. The only way to have a proper estimation of who we are to not think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves is to understand who we are in Christ. And he's explained what that is, chapters 1 to 3. We cannot forget that unity. We cannot forget of our union with Him and what that looks like. But it also means we're to treat one another as more important than ourselves. We're to treat each other like royalty. And again, we think of the first three chapters so that when we look at one another in the midst of that, we understand. I'm, I'm not looking at... Ted, but I'm looking at one who has been what? Given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And one who has been redeemed. And I can walk through that list of oh, chapters 1 through 3. And so he, I see him as a child of the king. As an heir. And he should be treated as such. So we have, we're, we're humble. We're to, to exercise humility. Then we're to exercise gentleness if we're going to continue in unity. That means there's a mildness, a quietness, a restraint. And it actually means that there's power under control and control under pressure. Let me say that again. Power under control and control under pressure. So when... You said just a minute ago, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I had the opportunity to pre preach through Revelation 16. Pleasure. Opportunity to preach through Revelation 16 this morning. 
And throughout the book of Revelation, we've been hearing about and talking about the, the need to endure, for the church to endure in the midst of suffering, persecution, and attack. Satan is the defeated enemy, but he is coming after the, it, the gates of hell will not prevail. It doesn't say the gates of hell will not push. It doesn't say the gates of hell will not attempt. The gates of hell will come against the church, but they will not prevail. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that pressure that's being exerted from the outside, you and I are to maintain gentleness. Power under control, control under pressure. We're to exercise patience. We're to be short-tempered. Right? We all need to do that, of course. So it needs to take longer to be angry. Uh, tolerance. Making allowances for one another's faults. Bearing with our weaknesses. Bearing with our failings. And understanding that at some point, I, I need to do that for you because you're going to need to do that for me. I may not need it now, but I'm going to need it. So while I don't need it, I'm going to give it to you because you need it. And of course, that's all done in love. Looking out for the best interests of everyone involved. And looking out for the community for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So how do we maintain unity? We, we exercise those qualities. But how do we exercise those qualities? And I've already alluded to it, but Paul goes on to say that. The same thing in verse 4, kind of summarizing. He says... There's one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. If we're going to be, if we're going to preserve the unity, we're going to exercise these qualities and characteristics. And if we're going to exercise these qualities and characteristics, we've got to remember some things. We've we got to remember what, we, we don't strive for unity. We actually look and say, what, what unifies us? There's a big difference in focusing on our attention on what unifies us versus focusing on unity. So he says, the first thing, he says, we need to understand we're all part of one church. So here for our context tonight, we're a part of, you're a part of Redeemer. Right? You're a part of a local church. You're also part of the church universal, but... But for the sake of Redeemer continuing on and where it has been and continuing to go, you know, we're all a part of Redeemer. There's only one Spirit, right, that, that seals us all, that fills us all. There's one Spirit that Christ has sent. There's one Spirit that energizes the church. Um, they're in fellowship with that. We're all in fellowship with that same Spirit, and so we're in fellowship with one another. He says there's one hope. The hope of eternal glory. The hope of eternal life with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. So we have that one hope in common. He says there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom our sins or your sins are paid. There's only one way, only one truth in one life. None of us are saved any other way. None of us are saved based upon our own merits in any way. We're all trusting in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is one Lord to which we all look. He says there's one faith. There's one content of our confession of faith. Jesus is the Lord. The Son of, uh, Jesus is the Son of the living God. He is Savior and Lord. Again, there's, there's no one else that we look to. He says there's one baptism. Listen, we're, we're all united as believers. We're united to Christ in His death and in His life. There is nothing else. 
And because we're united to Him in His death and His life, we're united to one another. And then He finally says, and there's one God over all who is sovereign, all-powerful, fully present in all places and all times. It is Him and Him alone who, who gives power to His church through His Spirit. He is the one who has sent the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to, we are to focus and, and commit ourselves to keeping, uh, keeping our attention on that which unites us. And as, listen to what A.W. Tozer has said. He said this in The Pursuit of God. 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to one, another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they, were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. So Paul says, I implore you to walk as a called out, blood-bought, spirit-empowered child of God. And as you do, maintain unity. You'll maintain your unity as you're humble and gentle and tolerant and patient. And the only way that you'll exercise those things and exercise those qualities and appropriate that, appropriate right every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you've already been appropriated. You've already been given. So he said that you've been given humility, gentleness, tolerance. Right? It's your job to now appropriate that correctly. And you do that by keeping your focus on the Lord Jesus. On the faith that is in Him. Your baptism that is in Him. Well, then he makes a little shift. Uh, Paul says, beginning in verse 7, he says, um, he uses the word, but... And it's a transition, and it's a transition word, and real, and he uses it here to say basically, uh, in spite of that, it's kind of weird, but hang with me. In spite of that, or on the other hand, so really, what he's he's, he's saying is there is one body, one spirit, um, just as always you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. In spite of that unity, you have and should maintain. That's another way to say that. To each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Another way to look at that is he, you, he, uh, you could say, all right, here, you have all this in common, but on the other hand, you have been, each one has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what's he doing? He's saying, listen, focus, focus on the Lord Jesus. Keep your attention on the Lord Jesus. Uh, as, as, you're, as you're moving ahead, uh, uh, as you remember who you've been declared to be, I want you to focus. I want you to uh, pursue unity. Don't focus on unity, but you're to preserve the unity, not uniformity. There's diversity within the body, so he makes this shift and he says, "Okay, you've got you, you're, to, you're to be in unity in the in these ways." To be unified in these ways, but you're not to be uniform because he says each one in verse seven uh, of us grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift, and then he goes down, he jumps down and begins talking about what he begins talking about spiritual gifts, like a king who distributes the spoils of war to those in his kingdom. Christ has not only led us out of captivity. 
But He has given us gifts. He's given us the spoils. He's given us gifts that we're to exercise. And once He ascended, He sent the Spirit. And the Spirit came. And the Spirit indwells us and grants us those gifts. So in verse 4, He, he basically says there are... Uh, there are uh, in verse 7 and beyond, He begins talking about two, um, two specific recipients of gifts. The first recipient is our each individual believer. Each individual believer has been given gifts. And we know from other places in Paul's writings that those gifts are diverse. Um, they function, uh, each person is to function within those gifts that they've been given. Each person has been given a particular gift. We haven't all been given the same gifts. We are to, to work to exercise those gifts. We need to be content with the gifts that we've been given. We shouldn't be looking and wanting everybody else's gift. We shouldn't look down on other people because they have this particular gift. We shouldn't look down on ourselves and desire somebody else's gift. We've all been given specific gifts. But then he goes on to say in verse 11 that he, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. So he's also given gifts to the church. He's given gifts to each individual believer, but he's also given gifts to the church. For the sake of time, we won't spend time talking about the apostles and prophets. There's a particular way that we could... Um, talk, talk about those, but we, we'll put that off for another day. And we'll focus primarily, because of our contest, to think about the gifts that have been given to the church in regards to evangelist, or church planter, missionary, those who proclaim the good news, and the role of pastor-teacher. So you've had, an, you've had uh, an evangelist in Ted, and now you will have a pastor-teacher in Ted. And we could go and we could spend some time in Titus and 1 Timothy. And we understand that it's not just Ted. Uh, love being, another reason I love being Presbyterian. Plurality of, of leadership. Plurality of elders. But Ted has been given a particular, a particular gift as a pastor teacher. His responsibility is to shepherd the flock. He does that within a group. Within those that have been called out. We'll have a, a two installed tonight. Ordained and installed alongside Ted tonight. Their responsibility will be to shepherd the flock. They're to care for, protect, and lead the congregation. And that's best done through teaching. So their, their pastoring will be accomplished. And Ted's particular gift will be pastoring and, and protecting through the t teaching of the divine truth. So gifts are given to each individual. And we'll talk about, well, for what reason? For what purpose? What's the goal? Look at verse 12. He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So as, as a pastor teacher, as elders, they are to equip the saints. It means to make them complete, to, to restore them. Uh, basically to restore them to kind of original condition. And so they're to help the believers to, to come alongside one another. The, the, the pastor teacher and the elders exercise their gifts to equip the saints. And the saints use their gifts to serve one another, all doing their part. To what end? Verse 12, he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Skip down to 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of, of, up of itself in love. Evangelists, pastor, teachers, other elders, equipping members to do their part, the building up of the church. The church builds and grows with everyone 
doing their part. But what does that look like? What's the ultimate goal? What is the goal to maintain? Look at verse 13. Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Throughout the scriptures, we see primarily two ministries, I believe, in the local church. One, of course, is a missionary ministry to the world around us, going, therefore, into all nations and baptizing and teaching, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. But the church also has an edifying ministry to itself. Unfortunately, what I've seen over the last 30 years is is kind of a, a move away from the edifying ministry and a focus solely on the missions ministry. Now don't get me wrong, missions is important and it's a part of who we are as a church and we're to go and to share the gospel, but not at the expense of the edifying ministry of the church. And in actuality, what I think has happened over the last 30 years, in many cases and in many churches, because this shift and the focus has gone from edifying to missions, then, uh, and the edifying ministry has, has begun to, to wane, missions itself is waning. Because I believe as the church focuses on the edifying ministry of the church, the missions come. And I think that's what Paul's saying here. Notice he says first that there's a unity of the faith. As the elders are doing their part to equip the saints, as you are serving one another in your gifts, there, there becomes that unity that, we, that we're to strive for, that unity begins to come. There is a unity of faith. There is a, a unity among spiritually mature people where the content of faith and the body of doctrine and the content of the gospel, there, there is a unity within that. There's a oneness. We understand what that is. He then says in verse 13 that there is a knowledge of Christ. Spiritually mature people will have a deeper, more thorough knowledge of Christ and who He is and what He's done. Be a knowledge that is accurate and not mixed with error. Spiritually mature people in verse 14 will be uh, sound doctrinally and they're not going to be tossed about and tricked with, with um, bad theology and bad teaching. and They're not going to fall for faddish, and faddish interpretations and popular sentiment. They're going to be able to, to tell where, where there's counterfeit truth. And then finally he says they will all speak the truth in love. They're not going to shy away from speaking the truth of their personal faith, the content of their faith. When, when, we, when we grow in the unity of faith, when we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what He's done, when we understand sound doctrine, we can't help but talk about it. We're not, we don't lack the confidence to talk about it. The more I understand and have come to understand who Jesus is and what He's done for me, the more I've come to understand the salvation that is, that is all in God's hands, I haven't, become, I, I, I haven't begun to shrink back from sharing the gospel. I have become more confident. The more confident that I am in doctrine, the more I want to talk about it. The more I understand who God is and what He's done, the more, uh, the, the more I dive deeper into His Word and begin to understand those things within the fellowship, then the more willing I am to share that. 
And, and Paul's saying, if we'll focus on that edifying ministry, as elders do their part, as, as the members do their part, and those things begin to happen, the missions comes. I think Paul couldn't be more clear. The growth of the church is not a result of clever methods or creative innovation. The growth of the church will be the result of every person doing their part. It will be a result of everybody understanding and exercising their gifts. It will be a result of establishing and meeting the goal of spiritual maturity. Not of numerical growth. It means striving for unity of faith, deeper knowledge of Christ, sound doctrine, and speaking the truth of As I said as we began, I, having watched from a distance, having known my brother for many years, 11 now, I think, and having watched and talked with him and, and enjoying the rides to Presbytery with him and Jay, um, and hearing about what's going on here, I would say that these things characterize Redeemer. My encouragement is that it continues for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for your sake, and for the sake of Sodom. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege.